Hello, I'm Peter Quintana and welcome to season six of Finding Your North Star, the HGKC podcast series where we talk to business owners and leaders about what keeps them awake and what drives them. Season six is subtitled Strong Foundations and we're inviting each guest to interpret the topic in relation to their expertise, business or sector. Today, I'm delighted to be speaking to David MacDonald. Having worked in financial planning all his adult life, David came to believe that you do not have to sacrifice financial performance and security to invest for a better world. In 2019, he founded Path Financial to forge a new radical path forward to fight the climate crisis. Path has since become a certified B Corporation and will now only invest their clients' money in impact investments. David's inspiration in life has come from fearless innovators and disruptors such as Nelson Mandela, and his greatest business inspiration came from his friend and mentor, Mike Wilson, who set up St. James's Place. So welcome, David. Hi, Peter. Delighted good to be here. Good to see you this morning. I'd like to start, if I may, by asking you what drove you to set up Path Financial in the first place? Well, it's you'll have to forgive me, Peter, because it's quite a long answer, really. But I was doing a lot of work on my personal values and my most deeply yeah. held beliefs. And as I was exploring that in a kind of therapeutic context, I came to realize that I really had a deep caring for the planet and for the earthlings that inhabit it. We might say people and planet, but you know, I think earthlings and planet is something I prefer to say. And I actually realized that in investing client money, which is what we do as a financial planning firm, that with the standard way of doing things, a lot of client investment money was going into things which were directly harmful for people and planet. And I would just cite things like oil companies and tobacco companies as being too obvious ones. And I came to the realization that I was in conflict with myself. My day-to-day business activity was actually in conflict with my deeply held values. So actually the decision I took, the only decision I felt I could take with integrity was to stop being part of the problem. I couldn't change what I was doing with the organization that I was in. There was absolutely no way that I was going to influence the investment committee of a national firm. So I sold the business actually with the idea of aligning myself to better outcomes for the planet by environmental activities and, and, and research. But it didn't take me long picking plastic bottles up off the beach where I live for me to realize actually there was a gap in the market for a more environmentally focused financial advisor, I was faced with the problem of how did I invest my money congruently with my values, couldn't do it with the current system, had to sort of fight my way through the system to find out how to do it. And I'm like, hey, there must be a ton of other people out there who want to do the same thing. So that was, the business was born out of values, deep dive by me, I suppose, and necessity and the realization that there was a gap in the market. Right. Wow. Um, when we spoke before when we were talking about setting up this podcast you talked about giving individuals the opportunity to give their money a voice what do you mean by that well as financial planners we deal with things like pensions and savings and individual savings accounts and what have you and um if we think about pensions i've got 35 years experience in pensions and I've come to the conclusion that the two words that best 
describe pensions are one boring <laughs> and two complex yeah <laughs> and guess what given given those characteristics engagement with pensions is really low so when i speak to people about where their pension money is invested some of them can tell me the name of the pension company or the pension companies that they're with or have gathered over the years very few can tell me what fund they're invested in with that provider or funds and none can tell me what the underlying investments of that fund are even the top 10 so which companies are you supporting by putting your money into this black box that we call the pension this boring and complex so our clients are people who fundamentally care about the environment people and planet shall we say and they're making massive lifestyle choices like giving up their car, not flying anymore, moving to a plant-based diet, not buying avocados because of the air miles, this kind of stuff. But actually, by far and away, the biggest influence they could have would be moving their money from high-carbon investments into renewable energy, if you will. Mm. But they don't know about it. Mm. And... If they did know about it, they could make a difference. And more than that, the more money that goes into investments like that, the more that it influences the fund management industry to move in that direction and to move towards what I might call a more caring capitalism. So first of all, people need to understand that their money can have a voice and then understanding they can do something about it to, to give it a voice. And thus, a few pounds of client money, if enough people do that, it turns into trillions of pounds worth of influence. Mm, absolutely. I was reading one of your recent impact reports on your website early this morning, and you say in there in your founder's note that research has shown that this sort of action can have 21 times more impact than all other personal carbon saving activities combined. That's a pretty substantial number, isn't it? Well, it's huge. And who would have thought it, you know, while you're busy spending one minute less in the shower or fixing the washer on your tap that you're told is going to make such a massive environmental difference. Or even much, much more fundamental lifestyle changes like not flying anymore, for example, which many people are doing. But all of that gets dwarfed by the money. And, you know, when you think about it, what is a lifetime's pension saving is probably the second biggest financial purchase you're ever going to make after your house, if not the biggest financial purchase you're ever going to make. If you're going to get a big enough retirement pot to have the retirement that you'd like to have, it's a big number, right? And that invested across a huge number of companies, all of which you're supporting. They've all got an impact, be it good, bad, or indifferent. Oh, and that's my statistic, by the way, that comes from Make My Money Matter, who did some research with Aviva. And for viewers that don't know, Make My Money Matter, they're a campaigning organization which is trying to bring this pensions and savings issue much more into consciousness yeah interesting you've said and and we've just mentioned you only invest your clients money in impact investments now how do you measure your impact well it's one of the problems that we've got as an industry actually and you say now the business was set up to only do impact investment that has been the case from the get-go there was probably a time when the universe of possible funds wasn't big enough to be able to adequately invest an entire client portfolio on what we would call positive impact 
There've been a number of funds which exclude negatives over the years, albeit very few of them and not very popular, but funds which try and seek out the positive rather than just avoid the negative are only now available to construct an adequate portfolio from. So we're on the adoption curve. We're probably still at the innovator slash very early adopter stage. So the data is not great. The measurement is difficult, but you could look at the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals and look at whether your investment fund aligns to that. Some clearly wouldn't, uh, you know, with seriously negative outcomes for planet. Others, such as renewable energy, clearly would. So that can be used as a yardstick. And actually, you can get a shrewd idea of the sort of carbon footprint of an investment as well. So... Again, talking about investors giving a voice, the more money that's in this, the more granular and the more rigorous measurement will have to become, and the more visible it will be, and the more commonly used of a yardstick yeah. it will be. So from the fund's perspective, yeah, we're making progress. If it's me personally and the firm, we try to minimize our carbon footprint in every way we can virtually all meetings are by zoom for example we don't really do business travel we're a certified b corp we upcycle our furniture all that type of stuff so we try to walk the walk yeah i was going to ask you about b corp how long ago did you get your b corp certification i'm going to say it's just over a year right so it's just a recognized standard i think if your business is predicated on positive environmental, social and governance metrics, it would probably be a bit weird if you couldn't achieve B Corp status. You would have thought so. I have read, however, that there are some companies that have got B Corp that on the face of it, you might be surprised have done that. There's been quite a lot of talk about greenwashing. How do you combat that? I mean, I'm not suggesting that that's what you're doing at all, but how do you combat that kind of line from people when you're talking to your prospects or clients? Uh, Well, look, I mean, it's difficult. I mean, first of all, B Corp is the gold standard. So certainly to get it requires a certain degree of application and rigor and authenticity. I would say, I mean, let's name names. BrewDog was one which had B Corp certification, came under a lot of criticism and actually had it removed. So uh, they've got work to do to get it back, I guess. Other brands, Ben & Jerry's, which is part of Unilever, is a B Corp. Well, you know, product massively based on dairy and sugar probably is not up there in terms of massive health benefits from a people perspective. I can't speak to how a brand like that gets B Corp status, but... Unilever are a company who are really making massive strides to try and improve generally their behavior. And Paul Paulson, who was the chairman of that organization for a number of years, and indeed his wife continues to be huge campaigners in this field, and they're really pushing. It brings to light some of the paradoxes that you get in this area that we're a long way from perfect, but as the saying goes, don't let perfect get in the way of progress. And I just kind of think that's where we are. No, I think absolutely and I understand what you're saying about Unilever and I'd, I've read that they're making significant efforts as well and when you get an organization that size saying we are making changes then that has a knock-on effect uh, across the other corporations as well doesn't it or if Unilever are doing it we should be following. Yeah but you're right greenwashing is an issue and just a couple of weeks ago in the press we had the 
devastating, no shocking news that actually the FIFA World Cup Qatar 2022 was not, after all, carbon neutral as they claimed <laughs> it to be. What really? The football tournament where all the matches took place in the desert, in air-conditioned stadiums where two million people flew to the event. <laughs> the yeah. claimed carbon offsets, shock horror, didn't make it carbon neutral. Well, it's that, and apparently you have tailpipe emissions if you go to Shell and put petrol in your car. Who knew? According to their advertising, you would have thought that you were actually improving the environment by filling up with their petrol. It doesn't help. When you get patently, I mean, greenwash is the polite word, the one that comes to mind, probably BS at best. It's fraudulent, it's horrible. And people are getting called out, of course, as knowledge improves in this area and complaints mm. are made. And quite right. Mm. Yeah, quite right. I wanted to ask, you were at the vanguard in the financial services sector, and particularly the financial advisory and wealth management sector. What effect do you think the PATH has had on your sector? Well, it's very hard to say when you're on the inside. I think we get quite a lot of comment in the trade press and I think because we were the first financial advisor that committed fully to impact investment and we've taken a risk in being a pioneer. I mean, who was to say there was anybody out there as a client? And I think that's been one of the worries of the financial advisory community. The narrative goes that capitalism red in tooth and claw and that's some game of in order for me to win you have to lose school of capitalism should provide profit regardless of the cost is a narrative that a lot of financial advisors have bought into and anything that looks like it moves away from the flexibility of doing something with optimized returns must look like then therefore it trends towards something which might minimize returns and the other end of the spectrum you might say the absolute opposite to capitalism red in tooth and claw might be philanthropy where you don't even worry about the return of the money let alone a return on the money so the concern has been that the minute you step up that spectrum of capital towards philanthropy, logically, you must be giving up investment returns. I think the data is in now, with the exception of 2022, which was a glitch year for many reasons. The positive impact is certainly no worse than traditional investment and possibly better than. Certainly, taking a long-term view, it's unlikely that oil is the emerging technology that someone's going to make a fortune from. I think it's more likely that that's going to be found from an emerging renewable or something like that. So I think we've just shown the advisory community that, yeah, you can operate like this and make money and have happy clients and actually, much more importantly, live a life of purpose and congruity and authenticity, which is something as a basic human need is really important. Yeah. And staff love that. Our customers love that. And I love it. So what's not to like about that? No, absolutely. As you said, you are very purpose driven as a business. And you have this clear focus on giving back to people or earthlings, I should say, and the planet. 
But you mentioned there that your staff love what you're doing. What are the secondary benefits for your business itself of the way that you've chosen to do this? Well, I mean, in a sense, you're asking the wrong person. It'd be great to be able to interview a few of the staff and hear it from them yeah. directly. But I, I think that there's something around that purpose piece. I think a lot of people live their life trying to be happy. I, I don't think you can actually set out to achieve that as such. I, I think happiness or contentment, if you will, comes through a sense of meaning and purpose with your yes. life. And I, I, I think... Yes. It's overall coming to work and doing a good job and delivering some deliverables. I mean, hooray and well done you. But if there's some real purpose or passion, especially if it's aligned to your own personal values, then it makes the time at work seem that much more important because it is. And that's really helpful. So yes, it engenders loyalty, team spirit, application, people going the extra mile because it's important for whatever reason. And to be in a community of like-minded individuals as clients and all of the job functions that we've got here just feels joined up and nice and gets reflected in better outcomes all around, not just for customers, but for you know the, our team as well. The individual employees. Yeah, we do a lot of work with our clients around employee engagement, this sort of mythical thing that everybody talks about. And what does that really mean? There's lots of debate about what it really means. For us, that thing about alignment between the employee's values and purpose in life and the company's values and purpose is just paramount. And if you have that, then you are much more likely to have a highly engaged workforce and if you've got a highly engaged workforce, then people are committed. They are more productive. They want to do things right for the business and for the clients because that's also doing things right for them, isn't it? I think that's exactly right. It's that alignment. If you're setting your stall out as being a so-called ethical business, you know, you damn well better walk the walk or you're going to get caught out on it. So it sort of polices us as well to make sure we do. Yeah. It always endeavor to do the right thing. Yeah, because also if you've got highly engaged employees, they are going to be willing to come to you and say, I've seen what's going on over here and it's not aligned anymore. What's going on? And call you out or call other people out within your organization. There's that high level of trust and honesty as well, isn't there? Absolutely. Yeah. So it keeps us safe as well, I would say, from that yes. exactly, exactly the self-policing aspect. And yes, if... Uh, something is done which is debatable shall we say then it gets debated yes absolutely okay we could probably talk for quite a long time around the detail but i'd like to ask you how you see your market evolving in the future and as i say you've been a vanguard you were the first to choose to invest only in impact only investments are there people following you now do you see some of the bigger organizations beginning to think about how they might change how the financial services sector evolving do you think or how will it evolve well i think it's becoming the new normal when i had the idea of setting up the business which is five and some years ago now it was before attenborough started talking about pensions i think it was even before greta started her school strike movement and nobody had really heard of impact investment and nobody was much familiar with the United Nations Sustainable Development Goals or the SDGs, no. as we call them. Um, 
environmental, social, and governance factors, ES and G, weren't widely spoken about? Well, I, it's hard for me to see because I'm in the middle of it, but I, I think that there is a familiarity with the SDGs now. I think the ESG framework has become much more talked about in financial services. The number of funds which are rebadging or trying to align with something which can claim to be ESG at some level has increased massively. I mean, it's back to greenwash and what I call the 50 shades of green question. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> you know, because they're very subjective, all of these measures, where actually do you sit? How authentic is it? Are you deep green, light green, what have you? But look, it's, it's definitely changing. And I think if, if ESG has become more or less accepted and normal, then I think the logical progression is that it moves to impact. Mm. I think for long-term investments like pensions, they need to be aligned to better long-term outcomes for people or planet, or there's just no point in even saving for the future. So in this kind of human existential way, it's almost vital that we do. Otherwise, we're on a very difficult path to some sort of anarchistic selfishness. So to my mind, it's almost inevitable that we have to move that way. Notwithstanding that, I think that positive investment returns will follow solutions rather than problems. Ultimately, if money is to be used to solve some of the issues that we've got. So back to the adoption curve, I think we're moving into the early majority phase. I, I do think it will become absolutely normal. And when I speak to what we're described as a sort of Gen Z cohort, it's almost like baked in for them that they're just not going to do an investment unless you have got some credible, positive aspects. So if that's the new zeitgeist that comes up as the younger generations inherit and build businesses and what have you, if that value system persists, I think there's an inevitability to the outcome. Yeah, it's hard to see that not persisting, really, isn't it? The current generation coming into work has a very different view about the way work should be, the way capitalism should be, and the people and planet and ESG is, as you say, baked into them, whereas it, you know, when you and I started out, perhaps wasn't. No, I started out in the workplace as part of the Thatcher generation, where greed is good was the sort of mantra. It was a very different workplace. My first day at work, I was issued with two pieces of equipment, a telephone of the dialing ring ring type and an ashtray. You know, it's not quite the same these days. And uh, thank goodness for that change. I think it's been long coming. Look, David, that's been a fascinating conversation, but that seems like a good place on which to end. I suspect we could discuss this for quite a long time if we don't call a halt now. But it remains for me to thank you David, it's been a real pleasure to talk to you. If you'd like to find out more about The Path, please visit their website, thepath.co.uk, where you'll find the impact report I referred to earlier, uh, detailing what David and his team have been doing for people, or should I say earthlings and the planet. And if you'd like to find out more about HGKC, you can find us at hgkc.co.uk, where you'll be able to read about how we help our clients uh, develop their confidence to lead with empathy, to innovate in times of uncertainty and to build value in their business in preparation for their exit. And you can also listen to more of our Finding Your North Star podcasts, which you'll also find on Buzzsprout on Spotify and explore and download some of our favourite call cool tools. 
So thank you for listening. Thank you, David, and goodbye.